When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. Michael Thiessen here, and you are listening to Open Mic with me, Michael Thiessen. This show is produced by Liberty Coalition Canada in partnership with ChristianWeek.org. Liberty Coalition Canada exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness and to defend those in Canada who stand. And ChristianWeek.org exists to provide a practical, balanced, hope-filled perspective on national and global issues certainly head over to christianweek.org and uh, check out some of their print articles. That would be really helpful. Uh, Folks, if you want to help support our podcasting work, head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com backslash donate and click the analysis box. Donations submitted there go directly to Christian Week. And I believe you can direct your givings towards uh, that, that, that uh, the podcaster who, tickles your fancy the most, I think. If you want to support our legal work and our advocacy work, of course, head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com backslash donate and click other designations. I want to make sure that I introduce you to Rocklink Investment Partners. Rocklink has been a great partner of Liberty Coalition Canada, and they understand your investment challenges of today. So Rocklink is an independent investment management firm focused solely on creating portfolios of high-quality businesses anchored to the time-tested principles of value investing. So email rocklink at at info at rocklink.com or visit them at www.rocklink.com. That is link with a C. And finally, as my guest knows, uh, we have puppies for sale. And uh, we have nine beautiful golden doodle, golden doodle puppies for sale. They're going to be ready in three weeks. And we want you to come down and we want you to visit the Ark Encounter. So when I say come down, I just assume people are coming from Canada somewhere. But we've got lots of American listeners as well. So come over or up or down uh, and visit the Ark Encounter where – uh, today, I'm speaking with Jason Browning, the Senior Manager of Grounds and Horticulture at the Ark Encounter. And when you come visit the Ark Encounter uh, in its beautiful spring, you know, Jason's going to tell you how beautiful the, the campus there is in the spring. You can pick up a puppy from our gentle and quiet, beautiful Erevis dog. Uh, so puppies are for sale. Come and get them. Hey, Jason. Hey, how's it going? 
Really good. I'm glad that we're having this talk. So everybody, uh, as I've mentioned, Jason is a senior manager of grounds and horticulture at the Ark Encounter. And Jason um, is the first American member of our local church. Uh, so many of you know that I've I've uh, moved just five hours south of the border. I'm living in Kentucky now, and we have a number of Canadians who have come with us. And Jason and his wife, Ashley, are the first American members, and it's been so good to have you guys with us. Yeah, te technically, you know, since it's a, a church in America, right, we are the only members, right, the only American. Oh, I guess we've had a few trickle in, so... Yeah, we're the founding American members, though. That's so exactly we're, right. We're, we're, we're happy. And you hold that over every new American who enters the doors of the church. That's Just right. everybody, I was here first. That's right. Uh, hey, Jason, why don't you talk about that? So you've actually moved. Uh, it's really interesting. We, we we have a church of a lot of people who have moved into this area because they, they, they feel called to Kentucky for some reason. You uh, actually moved into the area recently in order to work at the Ark. Where? Where'd you guys move from and why did you decide to make this monumental shift in your, in your family life? Yeah. So we moved from a small town in Washington called Wenatchee. So you put a pin like right in the middle of the state, that's where we're from. Um, and, and it was kind of a, it was kind of a grouping of a lot of things. Um, there was some, some theological maturing that we were doing and answers in Genesis was a part of that. Um, and then also, uh, like Canada, we were having a lot of um, rights and um, freedoms that we thought were clear and established starting to become less clear and less established uh, until finally my job, which provided not just my work, but also a place for me to live, um, was, was going to institute a vaccine mandate. And at that point, uh, we were not going to do, we were not prepared to do that, willing to do that. And so we said, what the heck, we got to get out. Um, and Ken Ham got up on YouTube one day, said we needed a grounds manager. And I said, I can do that. And here I am. So it wasn't Kentucky specific. It just was a, a coming together of sort of a serendipitous uh, 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 a ministry that we loved and knew was looking for uh, an asset. And I felt like I could be that asset. And so here we are. That's fantastic. Um, the Ark took a great stand um, for uh, freedom of um, uh, uh, freedom of medical choices, did they not? Like uh, they really took a good stand on things like informed consent, and they did not establish a vaccine policy. The, the uh, Answers in Genesis took a great stand on behalf of people for freedom, did they not? Yeah, so right. Well, that's one of the cool things about Answers in Genesis is their biblical fidelity. And so when you're, uh, when you're honest and um, thoroughly biblical, you can't do those things, right? So in conversations, those were the conversations I had coming in was, um, you know, this is why I'm moving. So if I come here and I'm going to experience the same thing, I'm not going to, to come. Um, so, yeah, they were very uh, willing and open and, and uh, helpful in making me feel comfortable with that move. So um, what does the day-to-day -day look of the senior manager of grounds and horticulture? For someone who's never been to the Ark or to the Creation Museum, and, and folks, I, just, to, just to put it out there, um, this 
episode of Open Mic is a shameless promotion of Answers in Genesis. And the reason for that is part of the reason Sarah and I chose Kentucky was to be near to this faithful ministry. Now, it's not perfect, but Answers in Genesis has had a very, very good long history of presuppositional apologetics. They don't use that word very much. I don't hear that around uh, or you know, at, at the Creation Center or at the Ark. But what I mean by that is Ken Ham has always been faithful to say we start with faith in the Word of God, and then we interpret the evidence, and then we look at life. And that is what presuppositional apologetics does. It says we Christians cannot, uh, in our own human reason, step away from God's word. We have to let God's word clarify for us. We're depending on it. We're putting our faith in it. We're truly living by faith. And then we reason from there. And Kenny has been doing this for 40 years. And so we are, this, this podcast is to say to you, if you have not been down to the creation museum, or you have not been to the, to the Ark encounter, come down. But Jason, what's it like? Cause there's like, you, you know, you're sitting out in the garden right now and, and like it's the grounds on both uh, campuses are just gorgeous. What, what's it like to maintain all of that? Yeah, so I actually am up at the Creation Museum today. We've got a new conservatory that's coming up, and then there's some growing, some greenhouses that are going to support that that uh, conservatory. And so my team is up here helping build those those greenhouses. So it's um, both locations are unique, right? So uh, Creation Museum has been around for 15, 20 years, and so it's a bit of a more mature landscape. When versus the Ark Encounter, we're trying to establish um, a landscape. Um, as well as they serve different purposes, right? So a lot of the landscape at the Ark Encounter is big and bold and bright during the summer when we have our annuals and tropicals out. And um, the botanical gardens here at the Creation Museum are a little bit more uh, unique, right? They're, um, it's, a, it's a curated grouping of plants um, that our experts here put together so people can walk around and enjoy and they've got plaques and they can do and read all that stuff. And so it is, it is a unique thing because the, the arc, the arc gets, uh, you know, as it should, it gets all the, the publicity, uh, but, but the grounds really sort of set the stage, right? So you, you go into, um, you go into the grounds and you're just prepared for something amazing because the grounds are amazing. So, um, and, and that's due to years and years of experience of the team, uh, knowing the grounds and knowing the plants and being able to, to cultivate what they want and what they want it to look like. And the Ark, both locations have animals. Is the Ark's zoo bigger? Or? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So the, the Ark's zoo is bigger. Um, but, uh, currently all the animals are actually down at the Ark as of right now, because, um, they are in the process of redoing, rebuilding the zoo up here at the Creation Museum. Um, so, so I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the footprint's going to look like as far as uh, uh, square footage or acreage. I'm, I'm assuming the Ark will still be larger, um, but there's going to be some pretty cool stuff going on up here at the Creation Museum. And one of the things that I love about going to this area, you, you know, like I know your kids, they love, they love animals. They love, they love the plants and our kids have literally gone and played together at these facilities. Um, 
I, I love the fact that you're learning science, biology, you're learning about animals with none of the evolutionary garbage seeping in there. You're actually you're not learning about someone's imagination about this animal. You're actually just learning about this animal, its habitat, uh, what it eats. Like it, it's, it's, it, you're, you're getting a ton of information there. So homeschoolers, anybody who wants to actually learn the, the zoo and the plant life around the Ark and the creation museum are quite fascinating with no evolutionary influence. It's great. Yeah, right. And it's that's one of the amazing things about Answers in Genesis and the way they do things is they reach a broad set or group of evangelicals, right? So, like, uh, when it comes down to really um, um, detailed theologies and stuff, um, they don't really get into that. Um, so they reach a broad group in the areas that matter the most, right? So evolution, um, the... the uh, the reality of like a global flood, true seven day, 24 hour creation, all these things, they say, here we stand. I can do no other. Right. And, and so, um, it's just amazing to be able to use those resources when, you know, growing up in public school, I wouldn't have been able to read a plant book or an animal book or, you know, whatever, insert any, any scientific category without having those, those presuppositions from the world in them. Yeah. And so those resources are available and then you can just really walk around. You guys, do you guys label the plants? Uh, I, 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 you do, don't you? So we don't, we don't do that down at the Ark Encounter, but that's because our, our, um, our plants are more um, just uh, supposed to be there to be aesthetically pleasing, not necessarily a cure, although they are curated, right? We do choose them for a reason. Um, it's not in the same style or uh, variety as what we get down here or up here at the Creation Museum. Uh, up at the Creation Museum, they are labeled, though. You can actually yeah, go correct. and look at yep. them. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just one other thing that everybody – I want everybody to know um, because, again, our family has just benefited so much by living nearby the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum. Um, you and I wanted to shoot this podcast about four weeks ago, maybe five weeks ago, um, and we just – your schedule, my schedule – you know, getting a place at the ark to shoot and, um, and, and making sure that we were, that they were pleased we were shooting this podcast. Sure. Um, so we're not, you are no longer standing in front of the glorious lights either at either campus. Jason, describe the lights. And when you guys start, uh, you, the first time you told me how long you guys worked on the lights for the Christmas lights. So just tell us about the lighting experience for anybody who might think about coming around the Christmas time, because most people would say, I want to go during the summer when it's warm, but man alive, like the Christmas season there is, is, a, is a fabulous season. Yeah. So the, the Christmas lights are amazing um, because there's just simply so many. Right. Um, it, 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 you walk into the ground specifically at the arcs. Um, that's, that's where we take care of the lights and it's a six month process, right? So we start about three, four months before Christmas. We have a month of Christmas and then usually a month or two of taking them down. And often we're planning um, late spring, early summer, any additions that we want to do. Um, and so it's just the sheer, um, it's the sheer amount of lights and the variety, the color schemes. Um, we've added some new stuff that uh, 
you know, we just this year got it like a 35 foot tree um, that's lit with a, a device called the Twink, Twinkly Pro device. And it allows us to do patterns, light changing. Um, and I can do it all from my phone, you know, sitting in my living room. So uh, not only are we putting lights up, we're also uh, state of the art lights um, show so people can come and see them. Creation Museum is a little bit different. It's a more mature landscape. Uh, like I mentioned before, 15, 20 years it's been here. So they have giant trees that they can't wrap in the same fashion that we do at the Ark. So they have a bit more varied um, ability uh, to put up lights, more hanging of things, uh, uh, different, you know, candy canes or snowmen, that type of stuff uh, that are sort of littered throughout the gardens. And so it's really, really unique because you can go to both sites and it doesn't feel the same. Right. You would think that because we're brother, because we're brother, sister uh, facilities, you would think that it would be the same. But it, it really isn't. It is truly a different experience at each each location. And uh, and beautiful, like um, in your we, we equally took visitors up to both sites and just really enjoyed it. So. So we talked about kind of the experience. Uh, what are the goals of Answers in Genesis right now? Um, Again, folks, we are just shamelessly promoting Answers in Genesis because they are a mature presuppositional organization, and they are they are they are teaching about uh, a godly Christian biblical view of science, and so like they're helpful, and so we want to we really want to promote. What are the goals, Jason? You know that you guys are hearing. Uh, as staff members and that you're excited to be a part of as a, as a ministry partner with them. Yeah, sure. So actually I'm just going to read straight the AIG mission statement. It, it, it summarizes and explains really what answers in Genesis is about. Um, and it says AIG exists to proclaim the authority of the Bible from the very first verse without compromise by using apologetics in its world-class attractions, dynamic resources, and creative me media to communicate the message of God's word and the gospel so that believers are equipped to defend the Christian faith and non-believers are challenged with truth of the Bible and its message of salvation. And, um, and, and that, that really sums up what AIG does. And there's a few things I want to point out specifically because they're meaningful to me. Um, but they use the world world or they use the word world class attraction. And I want to point that out because it really is um, something that Christians have not done well over the past decades is build world class stuff. And if you take one step off your bus and see that arc, you realize we need to be doing this. And so Answers in Genesis is committed to continuing to grow and continuing to be able to put out world-class excellent um attractions not just attractions right i i am the attractions guy right that's where i'm i'm located um i am the attraction yeah especially when i'm in that when i'm in the animal cages cutting down stuff <laughs> i've never seen that animal before but um yeah <laughs> But it's it's uh, it, it's a continued growth and a continued excellence, it, not just in the attraction side, but also in the content side, right? Because if someone comes inside this big, beautiful boat um, ship and sees garbage content, um, it just doesn't impact the same. It's not going to be able to help, like they said, equip believers uh, to defend their Christian faith, and it's and it's not going to convince any non-believers in any in any meaningful way. 
um, if, if what we do is say, Hey, look at this cool thing. And it's just garbage. Um, so that, that to me is, is really, really, um, part of it. And then also just the dynamic resources side of things. We provide so many resources from school curriculum to, you know, we actually have a school, a school that is operated by Answers in Genesis. We've got online YouTube channels, podcasts. We've got a TV app, Answers.TV. Uh, that is ongoing and continuing to bring new content in, as well as speaking engagements that Ken and other speakers like Brian Osborne and and our, our new uh, executive CEO, Martin Isles, they're out there uh, pushing uh, authority of Bible from the very first verse, starting in Genesis. Okay, so it's interesting in that mission statement, I, I really appreciated the concept of the Bible and the gospel. So obviously people's most often criticism of AIG, I I would guess, and I've lived long enough with, with this that I'd probably put some money on it if I were a betting man, but um, people would say, well, a six day, literal view of creation is not important for salvation. And it, and it's interesting that in the mission statement there, AIG is making it clear that they're declaring the authority of the whole counsel of God. They are, they are confronting or offering truth um, for non-believers, and they are making two references and references to the whole counsel of God and then how the whole counsel of God teaches about God's further message of salvation within that category. But of course, God's word teaches and talks about so many different areas that must be accepted by faith. And that leads someone to salvation. And so, um, of course, in the, in the gospel centered movement, in the, um, in, in the whole, uh, let's, let's water down the word of God, in order to make it more palatable for people, the answers in Genesis seems to be doing the opposite. No, we're going to proclaim the whole counsel of God. And within that, we're going to be talking about creation. And within that, we're going to use that conversation to talk about salvation. Um, would, would you say that around the ark and around the creation museum, if a Christian was concerned about one of their young adults, or if someone wanted to bring a non-believer there are, are they going to see that pathway uh, very easily from this topic of creation, which is a, which is a, an important topic in the scriptures, to then salvation? Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that was actually one of the things that impressed me and my wife Ashley the most was they brought us out um, to view and 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 you know meet and greet. Uh, it's hard to interview someone from states away, right? I think we're like thirty two hundred miles away from where we we came. And, uh, so they brought us out and we walked through the, we walked through the Ark Encounter and along with all of the, um, sort of presuppositional, uh, apologetics, the, the, um, the evidence-based apologetic stuff sprinkled in that, it, well, not even just sprinkled but on a loudspeaker, probably three or four times we had gospel presentation to us throughout that. So, so that's ultimately, that's the goal, right? So, um, and, and in the end of the, end of the e- the mission statement for answers in Genesis says that, right? So we're there to equip um, Christians 
to be able to defend their faith, but then also to challenge non-believers with the truth of the Bible and its message of salvation. So one thing leads to another, right? And so um, if you don't handle Genesis correctly, how can you handle uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Uh, which, by the way, everybody, um, 20 years ago, I was saying that as a 27-year-old, like I, as a young pastor in a, in, a, in a large church, thinking about moving to Africa to be a missionary, I was saying, hey, guys, look, like I, I agree with Ken Ham. If you get, if you get Genesis wrong, meaning if you, if you try to explain away why we don't need to believe this simply because secularists are telling you what to believe, then you like, we're going to go so far off the rails. And of course, everybody patted you on the back. They said, no, you're being, you know, being divisive. No, you're being simple minded. And, and, and here we stand 20 years later where uh, men are pretending to be women. Women are pretending to be men. And the vast majority of people believe that the concept of maleness and femaleness is a fluid concept. Now, if you were to say, hey, I want to, I want to buy that really expensive car for this price because I identify that car as a Toyota Corolla, whoever was selling the cars would go, you're a fool. That's not a Corolla. But we're living in a world where a man can just put on a dress and all of a sudden people are saying that he is a woman. And it, of course, all of this stems back to where do you get your authority? And for those of us who take Genesis as a historical narrative, which it is, we are taught from there. And then, of course, Christ uh, reiterates uh, 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 Genesis chapter 127, that God created the male and female. But if you, if, if you just dismiss all of the teaching in Genesis 1 to 11, you're left with very few creational categories creational foundations to even give answers to people uh, because who says that gender isn't fluid? Well, God does. And if you're just going to listen to the most uh, contemporary academic, they're going to say the individual does. And so this is always a matter of going back to scripture. It's always a matter of placing our faith in God's word and in God's character and Answers in Genesis has been faithful. We pray that they will remain faithful and steadfast because they've been right on these issues. And and on that, Jason, I think there I think I think the Ark Encounter sells t-shirts saying, you know, this is the true meaning of the rainbow. Let's bring back the true meaning of the rainbow. Like I think that Answers in Genesis is directly standing on their their presuppositions and the authority of scripture to actually speak directly to the culture on these issues. Yeah. And they're not scared to either. Right. So Ken, Ken Ham has a lot of people that don't like him and, and it's not because he's nice and wants you to go to your, you know, transgender grandson's wedding or whatever. Um, he, he's there to tell you what the Bible says and, and, and how we can faithfully follow that. And uh, he and he's doing that right, and and not just him, but but uh, uh, the folks that are that are all across AIG. As we come in as employees, we we, start, we sign a statement of faith that says these are these are true uh, 
true and honest beliefs of ours, and we hold to those. And you see that with um, with sort of the steadfastness of this ministry over the last you know thirty years that it's existed. And even though there are people who might dislike the ministry, it actually is a very nice, kind, warm ministry. And Ken Ham is a kind, gentle, warm man If it, as you're around him and you see him in the community. So uh, th- guys, everybody, you got to jump. You got to go to the Ark. You got to go to the Creation Museum and you got to come buy puppies. That's That's the plan for anybody who is uh, coming in for the visit in the next month. Well, look, Jason, let's, let's move from talking about uh, work uh, to talking a little bit about our local church life and our local, local church culture. Um, and I, I partly want to, I partly want to do that um, to introduce people in Kentucky to Royal Spring Chapel. But I also just kind of want to, again, there's many Christians who are uh, disenfranchised with their local churches. They're disenfranchised with what happened over the last four years. And now even what is happening in the pulpit regarding uh, advice about, uh, do, do I do this in culture? Do I do this in culture? You know, just yesterday on, on Twitter, um, we, we had another popular pastor come forward and, and basically said, we are in exile. We have to start behaving like we're in exile. Just put your head down and, and uh, don't make politics an idol. And, and then, and then for those of us who have moved and have, have made some decisions, we sit back and go, well, well, don't you care at all about our, our legal freedoms? Don't you care at all how that, how that restricts or promotes the gospel? Um, and so what's your guys' experience here in the U.S. over the last three or four years with the church? And, you know, was it, this might be too loaded of a question, but was it easy to leave the churches in Seattle area and, and, uh, and, and try to seek a better church culture life? Or what was that like for you guys? Yeah, so, well, um, like most people, I think 2020 helped with that because no one was open. So the only church that was that I could physically go to was the only faithful church in town. Um, and, and so it, it's just um, it's, it's just a signal of whether or not what you preach is actually um, affecting or being applied to how you live your life. Um, as if there's not, there's, there's a separation between Sunday mornings and the rest of the week when there really just isn't. And, uh, so, so for us, we found it really easy to go, Oh, now that we know what we don't want, uh, what, you know, where, where's the criteria here that we want. Right. And they were basic criteria and it was like, be open, start meeting. Right. That was one. Right. And then we were sort of coming to a reformed conviction um, you know, confessional churches, uh, covenantal churches, Calvinistic churches, those type of, um, you know, basics that, that we were looking for. And it, and it was pretty easy. We had, we struggled a little bit more once we got to Kentucky, to be honest with you, because, um, it just feels like a lot of the churches here, um, there's not even the one in town, right? So at least we had the one in town back home. 
uh, here we were going up to Michael Foster's church up in Batavia for about six months. And then, um, and then we, we were part of a C CREC church plant down in, uh, Sterling, Mount Sterling, um, uh, for about six months before we ended up getting hooked up with you guys, uh, which was, a, which is about half the distance for driving for us, which is, um, you know, one of the many things that, that made us end up sticking with Royal Spring Chapel. Yeah. So it's been pretty sweet as, as a community. And I think one of the things, uh, that we're trying to focus on as a church community now is how do we like AIG, uh, tackle the, um, the local community idols. And, and I, I think this folks, just so you know, Jason's a buddy of mine and we become good friends. And, and, and I think this is kind of why I wanted to talk to you, Jason, because, um, Everybody, when you're when you're talking about your evangelism strategy within your church, I, I want to kind of just take a explain a few things right here, because um, I've cho I've coached church planters, I've, I've coached uh, core groups of churches that are are starting to 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 try to build, and one of the errors that is just so common within the church is they they look around and they ask the question, how can I please the people around me? It's actually coaching that says, what are the perceived needs around me? And um, that might be a very good posture for a ch church to say, how do, I, uh, how do I serve the poor in my community? Or how do I serve the sick in my community? Or how do I serve the elderly? But it's not actually the right question for evangelism. Evangelism, the, the question is, is, how do I look at my community and then call them to repent of the sin that they're involved in? And different communities have different community sins. Of, of course, individuals are, we're all struggling with the same sins, but there's some areas that, you know, where Satan has a, a greater stronghold on a certain topic matter. And so one of the things I know that we're doing at our local church right now is we're we we're, we feel called to the community. We feel called uh, to Georgetown College. Uh, we we feel called to minister to the all of the employees of the, the Toyota plant here, and we're ras wrestling with okay, like what are what are the idols in the community? And um, I think Jason, why I wanted to talk to you about that is because you kind of have a really good you you have some really good insights in this area. So, what are some of the idols you would see in our area that? you think our local church needs to begin to call our area to repentance of? Yeah. So uh, this is going to be, this is going to be a bit loaded uh, and I'll, I'll explain myself, but I, the biggest one that I see is specifically uh, when it's tied to dead churches is tradition. There's a lot of Southern Baptist churches around here that have pastors in them that it's my great granddaddy, started this church and my son's going to be the next pastor. And we just do this because we just do this. Right. And so our, our church, our church follows, um, you know, an intentional liturgy. Um, but it, but it's spirit filled, spirit filled. Right. And it's, and it's not rigid. So there's room, um, like you say on Sundays, there's room for, you know, if, if there's a, a written out a prayer for us to, to pray during, during our time of confession, um, as the spirit leads, you know, the pastor or the leader, whoever's up there is going to, is going to embellish or add on. Um, and we just don't see that locally within the churches. Uh, as we were going around looking at churches, it was like, they're just, 
they're reading out of the same, you know, singing the same hymns because that's what, you know, that's what grandma knows how to play on the piano. And, and, um, and so there's, there's a, there's a loveliness of tradition um, that when it's hollowed out and shelled out into, we just do this because we do this, it's really ugly and it's really soulless. And so that's an idol as well as, uh, you know, the horse stuff around, around here. We've got Lexington about 15, 20 minutes just south of us. And the amount of money and, and time and effort spent on uh, loving uh, these horses in a way that, that puts them as an idol in people's life is, 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 a, is another area that I think we can, we can probably work on. I think, I think certainly with the college, uh, the idol of um, academics and, and, and I, I, we talk, I talk a lot about wokeness on this podcast, but just, just literally a, a, a school that is uh, slowly but surely or quickly but surely um, buying into secular humanism and the idolatry of self and the idolatry of humanity is, is something there. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're really praying about what God's going to do, uh, for our local church. I, I, you know, it's interesting. I want to talk about that first thing you said, Jason, because, you know, hopefully, hopefully this, this podcast will go out, uh, you know, North America wide and, and people are kind of thinking about their local context and some Kentuckians might be going really, you know, folks, I've written an article for the Ezra Institute about when when do you know it's time to leave your church and i I just want to remind you that there are three that there are three categories that jesus talks about about shepherds there are false prophets like there are false shepherds there are they are sheep in wolves clothing who are there for whatever personal reason uh, that they are there for to undermine uh, the growth of the kingdom and the proclamation of the Bible. So when you see someone doing uh, liturgy with a rainbow flag around, you know, like a more Anglican format or Episcopalian format, and, they, and they've, they've got the rainbow flag, as, you know, on their robes, that is someone who has chosen to become uh, a minister, a, a member of the clergy for the sake of perverting the Bible. Um, and then, and then there's another category of, and I think Jason, this is what you were referring to of just hirelings. You know, I got the job because I, my dad did it and, and I, he has a good reputation. And so I have a, I have a good reputation and I got the job and, and the hirelings, what, what you find with the hirelings is they just run at the first, at this first sense of danger. Um, or a better job, a bigger congregation or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Like, like, um, and, and, and the reality is that, um, you know, I've, I've been encouraging young men to be bivocational. I am, I am currently bivocational. Um, I've been encouraging, you know, when we lived in Africa, I saw this problem and one of the ways to solve it is, is to is to be bivocational pastor your church as much as you can for the purpose of being a pastor, not for the purpose of earning a paycheck. And then of course you got the third category where those who are just pastors and shepherds and some of the stuff that Jason and I are talking about are a good litmus test. So if you uh, go to a church and they will not 
preach a six day literal creation. You're, you're dealing with someone who is either intentionally undermining scripture or, you know, they're in this professionally and academically and, and they're just willing to, to, to waver on it. If, if you've got uh, a church where you say, Hey, these are legal rights that we have won that we need to uphold you know, how much will you stand if this happens again? And they go, well, you know, I agree with you, but okay, well, you know, you're, you know, maybe you're dealing with a hireling. Um, when you go to a church and, and um, for whatever reason you are sensing like an entitled congregation, a congregation that's not willing to be teachable or willing to draw their eyes up to God um, and, and you're, you're hearing sermons that are man centered and all of those types of things in all of these ways, you, you need to ask yourself, you know, do I need to find uh, a faithful church? Because the folks like the, the world is changing before our eyes. Our, our children are dealing with things that we never had to deal with that we, they're dealing with the things that we said we might have to deal with in 20 years. And now 20 years later, it's, it's right in our family's faces. So it's really important that we find local churches. And, and, um, I, you know, I also really love the, the cornhole culture and tradition and competition around our church that comes together and stays together for a meal and for, for another time. Uh, Jason, why don't you just explain kind of that, that attribute of our church family? Yeah, well, that was, that was, um, that was actually one of the things that got us to stick around, right? So you guys were closer in, you guys were closer in, um, as far as driving for us. Um, the we were there. The, first, man. the preaching yeah, is man. The preaching is man. Yeah. It's gotten better now that, you know, anyways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just, he didn't finish that joke, but basically uh, we've had a number of visitors uh, fill in for me while I went on holidays. And so uh, that was a direct reference of it. It got better when Mike wasn't there. Okay. I got you. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Meh. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyways, um, it, it's hard to build relationships when you come in at a pew and sit at a pew at 11, 11 o'clock and you're gone by 12, 15. Um, and so uh, me and my wife are, are really, really competitive people. So you put a cornhole board out there and said, bring it. And, um, that just really enabled us to be able to connect really quickly, uh, with folks that believed like we believed and experienced, um, experienced the lockdown as heavy as, if not heavier, um, than we did back in Washington state. Um, there's a lot of parallels to our lives. And so being able to sit down and, uh, you know, eat some of your, your smoked meat on, on, um, on Sundays and be able to talk to each other and really like start to understand that, Oh wait, we're both, uh, you know, you mentioned exiles, right. Exiles in, in earlier and sort of a negative reference of we shouldn't be engaging the culture. But when you realize that you really are the exile, when you're, st when you're standing biblically and you're, and you're, and you're keeping the authority of God's word and his, his, um, kingship and lordship over the world, you are the exile but that that's not a that's not a prohibition against engagement right that's just that is your status <laughs> it's not it's not a prohibition and so um realizing you know that that you guys are interested in 
um, engaging in the same way we are interested in engaging really brought that together. And then um, it's always good to be the best cornhole player on the court too. So, you know, stick around because of that. <laughs> yeah, I'll stick around because you're still practicing and like, you might be what seventh, you know, like I think, I think, I think, I think if Gabriel and I play together, we're undefeatable. Uh, the problem is Gabe always wants to play against me. And, uh, and then just, you know, I, I think between you and me, one of us is probably going to be under church discipline for our attitude on the cornhole, on the cornhole field. So, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm surprised uh, that hasn't happened. That, you know, now that now that the church is kind of formalizing and there's, you know, more elders there and things like that, I think both mm. you and I have to mind our p's and q's. Uh, I didn't know you saw Canadians did church discipline. That's it. And it's good to know, though. <laughs> I don't know how well we do it, but I'm <laughs> sure that it's going to be either you or me that people are going to be coming after. Someone. Um, so, okay, we've been going for 43 minutes. Let's go for a few more minutes here. Yeah, so, and, so, um, so if, I, if I could just say one one more thing as far as church um, and, yeah. and sort of the idol of what I was getting at with tradition earlier, I listened to a podcast by John Harris on the Conversations That Matter podcast earlier this week, and he talked about uh, how some people idolize exegesis, right? And, um, and, and we experienced that here where we went, we went to a church, one church specifically that I can think of that I came out of it going, wow, this could be an academic class. Like I could go to a seminary and this would have been a good hour long class for me to sit under and learn Greek or Hebrew or whatever the passage was on at that time, but had no application for me to go Monday morning, engage people at work, engage people in my life. And that's something that you guys um, Pastor Mike, you do really well at our church is you, you bring the word, but you, you exegete like, like, that's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing and neither was John, but, but, but to, to apply it to how we are to behave in our modern day is super rare because it, it's hard to tell someone they should be doing it this way when, when there's so much pressure to not do it that way. And so that, that's a, that's another unique thing that about that our church, I think is um, really going to, going to stand out and have an impact here in Georgetown area is because, because we've, we've got pastors and elders that, that want the word to affect how we live and they help us understand how to do that. Yeah. And like those are kind words and I appreciate that. And the reality of it is, is that we, we have to live like our lives depend on it, right? Like we, we have to, right. we have to live according to God's word as if our lives depend on it. And then of course our, our, our eternal life is uh, wonderfully in the hands of our risen savior who uh, has bled for us and died for us and been raised to prove that he is the, the first among the dead. And, and so our eternal life through faith in Christ is is secured and that is wonderful. And then we have all of his wisdom to now like believe like our lives depend on it. And um, my, my daughter and I were just talking this morning. We were just reading in second Corinthians as we were heading to the gym and um just reading about how Paul was so excited that Titus came back with a, a report that, uh, that the Corinthian church was, you know, all the stuff that Paul had said about them was true and that Titus found them in obedience. 
And it's just a simple, like obedience to God's word is life giving. And it's like the way that you'll be able to go and brag appropriately upon your children is to the measure by which they obey you and the Lord. And the opposite is also the true No, No matter how much you want to succeed in the world, if you are denying God and his words, then your life decays. And so, um, you know, those are kind words and, and yeah, we, we do work hard in order to do that because I, I need God's word every day, just not to burn the whole place down. So yeah. which, by the way, everybody, I want to take an opportunity to let you know that, um, for open mic, I am going to be adding to this show, um, the release of my sermons. And I've, I've, um, I've hesitated to do this. Um, uh, but I think it's important, uh, to be able to share, um, what God is teaching me in God's word. And so in, in the coming few weeks, you will be able to start seeing and hearing my sermons released on this feed. And, um, we are either going to increase the amount of shows, or we're going to release uh, less interviews like this and more sermons. And so if you have any, uh, we'll see how that goes. And we'll actually just rate that based upon feedback. If people are thinking that they're missing the interviews and we should just double up and they're listening to the sermons, but it's partly just because we really want to teach people how to uh, how to thrive and live according to God's word. So Jason, thanks for those kind words. Um, the music in the background. So let's go back to the ark now. Let's go back to creation museum. Let's go back to AIG. The music in the background, it, it comes on and off once in a while. Um, what What's the type of atmosphere that Answers is trying to create when you approach either of the buildings and um, let's let's end the conversation with just kind of talking a little bit about your practical work to do to achieve that goal. Yeah, so I I think I think the again I I harp on the excellence thing that that really hits me hard, and so I think that's what we have right is is when we when we come in we're trying to set a stage of uh, this is important right what you're going to see what you're going to hear what you're going to learn is important and how do you how do you do that if things don't look good sound good um operate how they're supposed to operate so there's a lot of effort put in to making sure that we are truly world class in everything that we do the exhibits as you walk through the arc is is insane so um the group that i manage specifically has a large um sort of footprint right so we handle all the snow removal we handle all the christmas light uptake downtake all the annual and perennial plantings that we do every year Uh, we have tropical houses that we keep through the winter as well as other things we've got a project crew that does all of our new landscape builds uh, or at least most of them um, if they're within our within our capabilities uh, like adding building greenhouses or, or adding new beds throughout the throughout the um the park or, or new additions that we have coming in. Um, and so really my work is just to, like I said earlier, set the stage, um, set the stage so that people come in. They might not even notice how, you know, like um, they might not uh, consciously notice how beautiful the setting is, um, but they know that they're at a professional place that has meaningful content. As soon as they come in, 
and the flowers are all blooming and 10 feet tall and there's bananas where there shouldn't be bananas and palm trees where there shouldn't be palm trees and uh you know a, a lake and and beautiful beautiful edging on the grass just all that stuff sort of is a coma uh, accumulates up into a really uh, wonderful experience as they're walking their way into the ark encounter specifically I, I, and I, what I want to focus on as you say that is like, it is a celebration of God's creation. Like, so the whole thing is to bring glory to God so that people recognize the beauty of his creation and accept and accept him, him as the creator. And it, it does that all of that work with the plants makes you go, wow, God's creation is amazing. And, you know, you know other, like I'm thinking of other science centers where you go and you go, wow, God's creation is amazing. But then you have to read plaques of stupidity and what a blessing it is to be able to go, wow, look at how beautiful these plants are. Look at how wonderful these grounds are. God's creation is marvelous. And then you actually go and learn the truth about it. So, you know, keep up the good work, Jason. Thanks for so much for being um, a moderately good church member. Um, <laughs> bitter so, much, bitter much. Thanks for being uh, such a great brother in Christ. And uh, we look forward to uh, uh, doing ministry together. Everybody, um, just want to make sure that you are aware that the Ezra Institute is, of course, putting on our summer programs this summer. I will be I will be focused on our uh, Worldview Youth Academy here in the U.S. And um, you can go to the EzraInstitute.com training programs and look at the Worldview Youth Academy. Um, it's it's going to be a great time in uh, uh, Tennessee. Uh, we're going to be actually in Gatlinburg, which is a beautiful mountainous area. We'd love for you to go and sign up your young adult um, for the uh, U.S. program. Also, um, uh, Nate Wright and the Canadian team are are running all of the events up in Canada. You can go to EzraInstitute.com and look at all of these things. And we just want you to continue to help support our podcasting work. We're so thankful for all that you do. Like, share, and uh, get this uh, video out to folks. This is this is maybe one of our more local maybe one of our more local sessions where just might tweak your mind to be thinking about the health of your local church um, but um, we're we're trying to continue to draw people to the lordship of christ so thanks for listening and godspeed <laughs>